It's good to be back this week. Um, I'm preaching part two of a four-part series. Uh, I've not been invited back to finish it yet, so uh, we'll see. Um, I'll, I'll assume, based on if I get invited back, how the first two went. So, um, But uh, it was, I was reading this morning in 1 Samuel. It's what I'm studying uh, this summer. I usually pick a book of the Bible and kind of go through it on my own in the summer. Sometimes it's... Uh, used in future sermons or something. Sometimes it's not. But in chapter 3, verse 1, I read words this morning. It was just like really troublesome. And it said that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And then it has a little dash, for he was not giving visions to the prophets. And uh, it reminded me of in Amos 8, where Amos uh, in his day was um, saying that there's going to be a famine coming, and it's going to be the worst famine ever And he says it's not a famine of food and not a famine of drink, but it's a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And uh, I I say all that because I I really appreciate you guys having the scripture reading that includes like a whole chapter and big passages. And even from Old Testament, you're like, wow, we're not Nazarites. (laughs) How does that fit? And yet it does fit. And you guys are, you know, God is good. In, in In the hearing of Trinity Presbyterian, there's not a it's not, it's not a rare to hear God's word, right? I mean, you have it. There's not a famine for it. And yet I believe that it, that scripture still speaks because in your individual hearts and mind, we often go through a time that seems famish. Like, man, I'm just not connecting or hearing the word of the Lord. And um, we need to pray like, Lord, show us and reveal the truth that, uh, that we hear every week. You know, let us hear and see. Because in other places in Scripture, it says that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, they're, they're gifts of the Lord. They're not something that we can just do. And yet, we're also encouraged to unstop our ears, right, in, in, the, in the Word. So you guys get the Word every week and just pray that it doesn't become a rare thing to hear the truth of God's Word over and over and over. Because, you know, we're not Nazarites. But what we hear there is God takes seriously our relationship with Him. And so much so that the only way we can really be holy and set apart for him is to be clean and cleansed. And, you know, even the Nazarites who took those vows, it says that they became, um, you know, with the death of, I can't remember what it said exactly of who, but uh, they were separated and they had to kind of start all over and they needed to be cleansed and washed and they needed to have a peace offering and a sin offering and a wave offering and a guilt offering. Uh, And we have that for us in Christ. So we can come and approach uh, him and we can be set apart and holy because of Jesus. And that really is good news today. Well, last week we started in uh, uh, the first conversation that Jesus had individually, uh, discourse with somebody in the, in the Gospel of John. He has seven such discourses with different people. The next one he has after talking to Nicodemus in chapter three that we're in, the very next chapter he has a discourse with a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And he has seven of those. But we learn a lot when we look at um, the, the conversations between Jesus and other people. And particularly in the Gospel of John, uh, we, we've already learned a good bit with, between he and his conversation with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. And uh, I want to read, I'm going to start back in John 2.23, and I'm going to read um, through chapter 3, and I'll go to verse 15, because we won't get any further than that today. Um, this is God's Word. Now when he was in Jerusalem, that's Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, um, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that's before us. We thank you that in our day it's not rare. We thank you that for us at Trinity Presbyterian and these people, this congregation, this body of Christ, it's not rare to hear your word. But Father, I I pray that if it's rare to really hear it, to really take it in, that you would open blind eyes and deaf ears, that we could behold the glorious truths from the conversation that you have with this Pharisee. Father, help us to apply it and help us to know you, our Savior and Redeemer, and the grace that you give us in Christ. Father, I pray that as we look at this, that we would um, quickly do away with thinking that we can ever merit salvation or goodness or any relationship with you on our own, and help us to quickly fall upon the grace of, of Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. How many of you guys are basketball fans? Basketball fans? Um, I got I to gotta come and get to know you guys better because last week I did some sports things and about half of you connected and about half of you didn't connect. Uh, but that's kind of the point. We're talking about connecting. If you were a basketball fan, particularly if you were a college basketball fan, you wouldn't know what March Madness is, right? You wouldn't think it was a disease. Now, if you were a wife of a fan, you might think it's a disease. Uh, but you would know what March Madness is. You, you would understand the terms like Cinderella, right? You would understand the terms uh, Sweet 16 and uh, Elite 8 and Final Four. If you were really a fan, you would know that somehow USC Gamecocks were in the Final Four, right? And if you were really, really a fan, you would know that the USC Gamecock girls won it all. All right. So, and you would, if you were a fan and you were a Clemson fan, you would know we didn't get very far and never do, but that's okay. Um, so if you were a fan, uh, some things about March Madness would connect with you. If you knew none of what I just said, then I, and, and you'd already raised your hand, I would say, really? Are you really a, a college basketball fan? And that's kind of what's going on in this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus calls Nicodemus a ruler of the Pharisees, but then he starts saying, but if you really are a ruler, if you're really teaching the people the word of God truly, then you're going to connect with some things. And last week we looked at a lot of things that Nicodemus didn't connect with. He didn't connect that he had a need of Jesus. He didn't connect that he had a need of grace. 
He didn't connect that he wasn't okay on his own righteousness. Uh, he didn't connect on any of those levels. He didn't connect that he had to be born all over again, start all over again. He didn't connect that he had to be born from above instead of something that he could do. He didn't connect with any of those things. And Jesus says that he knew the heart of man, and he showed Nicodemus his own heart, and graciously did so. Um, it's good that Jesus doesn't let us go our own way or whatever. It's good that when he, when he reveals our hearts to us, even in the wickedness, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing, because if he just left us to go our own way, that's the worst thing that could happen to you and to me and, and to this Pharisee Nicodemus to, to go his own way. Um, very quickly, here's what we did last week. In uh, chapter 2, the very last part of it, Jesus is doing all these miracles, and people are believing on his name. Yes, we believe. You can heal. You can provide food. You can do all these things, and we want that. And it says that Jesus, on his part, wasn't entrusting himself to them. He wasn't giving himself over to them because he knew their hearts. He knew that what they wanted is the food. He knew that what they wanted was to walk again and to see again, but he knew what they didn't want. They didn't really want him They didn't want him to be king of their life. They didn't want to be changed and transformed. They didn't want to have a different purpose in life, and they didn't want to follow him. They wanted the stuff that he gave, but they didn't want Jesus. They didn't recognize their deep need of him. And so it says that Jesus knew their hearts, and even though I'm sure the disciples were like, hey, these people are believing, and aren't we trying to win people and build a kingdom here? And Jesus is like, yes, but not this way. You know, not this way. And then he goes on, the very next uh, verse is in chapter 3. It says, And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus that came to him by night. And so we see that Jesus is saying that he knows what's in man's heart. And then we have that illustrated that he knows what's in Nicodemus' heart uh, in the very next story and discourse. And so we we looked at uh, the idea that that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And we said that the Pharisees meant the the party of the serious. The Pharisees were very serious. You know, they were serious about the commandments. Kind of like we read the Nazarite vows. It says, well, the Nazarite vows, if they were able to do all those things and they wanted to add some more to it, go ahead, add to it. And so the Pharisees added to it. They had 900 commandments, and they knew them all, and they practiced them all. And um, so Nicodemus was a party of the serious, and we, we said that, you know, you can be really serious. You can come to Trinity, and you can come on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and every day at VBS, and even for the final finale, you can come to all those things and go to Sunday school classes and read the Bible. You can be serious about the things of the Lord and miss the Lord. You know, we can talk about doctrine and miss Jesus. We can talk about social things and helping out in the, in the community and helping each other out, and we can miss Jesus. And that's what, that's what this man's done. He's missed Jesus. His whole life has been spent with a party of the serious, and yet he didn't know Jesus. Jesus had to reveal that to him, that he was needing to be born all over again. And so we have to think, um, you know, uh, us that come to church and, you know, are here Sunday morning, and I don't know if you have Sunday night. Do you have Sunday night stuff? No? Yes? Sunday night? And those are the real serious people, right? Because I'm sure that it goes from this to this and to maybe not that. Sorry, people. I didn't mean to say this to this. But you understand what I'm saying. Uh, you know, that's the serious people, right? And the people who volunteer to go to three crosses, that's the real serious people. And this is Jesus saying, well, just because you're really doing all those things doesn't make you right with me. It takes more. You have to be born from above. And then we talked about the, that Nicodemus came at night. And we talked about the, the in the darkness of his soul. And also, he probably didn't want, uh, the Pharisees probably didn't want all the people thinking, well, you're, you want to follow Jesus too? You know, the Pharisees were, were sending Nicodemus as a representative. Nicodemus wasn't wanting salvation. Jesus saw his need of salvation and opened that up 
before him, but uh, Nicodemus was trying to do some bipartisan work, which I hope they do pretty soon on health care and other things. But anyway, um, that's definitely a different subject, a different time and all that good stuff. But last week, what, what we found out, I guess one, one summary is we could say this, that all our goodness and all our righteousness, um, just like Nicodemus's righteousness and goodness, all that only hides our heart and our need for Christ. It doesn't help our cause. Your goodness and my goodness and me saying, well, I'm kind and nice and loving, that only hides my need for Jesus and my need for grace. It doesn't help my cause. Because why? Because I can't be loving enough. I can't be good enough. I can't be kind enough. I can't, I can't be dedicated enough to the Lord Jesus to be right with him. I need Christ, and you need Christ. And I don't mean once. I mean day after day after day after day. We need him. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and what we learn um, of Nicodemus. So that transitions us into uh, uh, some later verses. And uh, Nicodemus was really confused when Jesus said, you have to be born anew. You have to be born from above. You have to be born all over again. And Nicodemus says, well, do I, can we go back into our mother's womb and be born a second time? We can't do that, can we? And Jesus, he was expecting Jesus to say, well, of course not. Um, I'm just saying you need to be better than you are. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says you have to be born all over again. It continues with that truth. Um, and uh, so uh, Nicodemus is, is very confused and distraught, and he asks, how can this ever be? How can it happen? And if you were here last week, you, I, I reminded or I told you that you need to know John 1 in order to understand anything of the rest of John. And so let me take, take us back to John 1 and a couple of points in John 1. To answer Nicodemus's question, how could that even be possible to be born all over again if I can't do it on my own? And in John 1, uh, verses 12 and 13, actually I'll start in verse 11. Let me read that. John 1, 11 through 13. Jesus came to his own, and those who were his own, the Israelites, did not receive him. That, that's, if you just meditated on that, how terrible is that? Jesus came to his very own people that he created, made, that he had picked out and purposed for redemption, and they didn't receive him. And it says, they came to his very own, they didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, right with God, even to those who believe in his name. And then here's, here's how it's possible. How can we believe? How can we become children of God? And it says this, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but of God. So Nicodemus is like, how can it be possible? How can we be born anew, born all over again? And Jesus is saying, well, it's not possible with man. But it's possible with Jesus. It's possible in me um, by the will of God. How can these things be? Now, that takes us to verse 8 of John chapter 3. And that's where we pick up the story. And in verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So uh, Jesus uses a metaphor of wind. And this morning, I was driving out of the subdivision in Columbia, uh, where I was staying with friends there. And right when I got to the end of their street, still in the subdivision, I couldn't turn right because there was like multiple cop cars there with all their lights going. And this is at like 6.15 in the morning. I was like, man, what's going on? And then I noticed that there was this massive tree blown over onto the road. I mean, massive tree. So I couldn't have turned if I wanted to. And I was thinking, you think the cops were thinking, man, I wonder who knocked that tree over. I wish we had surveillance camera to see who knocked that tree over. No, they knew it was the wind. It was really windy where we were last night. 
in Columbia, and the wind knocked it over. They could have had a surveillance camera, and guess what? They would have seen nobody knock that tree over because it was the wind. And so the wind, even though you can't see it, it has a great effect. And Jesus was telling Nicodemus, the way you can be born all over again is not something that you can do, not something that you can see, not by another person. It's something that has to happen to you from outside of you, and it's the work of the Spirit, and you can't see it, but there's a big effect. There's always an effect. And so uh, one of the applications for this is we can't save or redeem ourselves. We can't be good enough. But if the Lord Jesus does it through his spirit and he draws you to himself and he redeems and saves you through Jesus, there's always an effect. And there's always, there's always a windblown look. You guys have ever been out in real windy weather and you're like, man, my hair is all messed up. And we think ladies do that, but guess what? Guys do it too, unless you don't have any hair. And then they might not. But, um, so we do that, and we have a windblown look. And, and one of the applications here, if the Spirit has really changed you and you've been born all over again, there's going to be a transformation. Now, it might not be complete because it's not going to be complete on this earth, but it should be started and it should be growing. And so when we look at one another, there should be a windblown look, and we should say, Lord, I, I want people to be able to see my good works but I want them to see it in a way that glorifies you in heaven. Not see it to bless us or to cause us like, wow, you're good, but to see our works in a way that glorifies the Lord that's in heaven. And so one thing that we get from this is if, if you do connect, and you know, if, you, if you really are a basketball fan, you need to know some of these truths, but if you really are a Christian, you need to have a windblown look. Is there, is there really a grace and effect of the gospel and of God's boring you again, rebirthing you? Is there an effect in your life that you see? We need to be praying for, for that effect. Uh, it's really clear that there has to be an act of God first before we can do any repenting or anything. God has to act before we do anything. We can't do it. Then Nicodemus is still faced with great difficulty because he's still not connecting. And in verse 9, he says to Jesus, how can these things be? We've already looked at John chapter 1, well, they can't be because of man, but they can be because of, of God. How can these things be? And Jesus answered him in verse 10, and he says to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of the law and you don't get this? You know, you, you're saying that you're a ruler of the law, and his name means victor. Nicodemus, the name itself means victor over the peoples. He was a ruler over the peoples. And he, what kind of ruler? He was a Pharisee, meaning that he took the, the Bible, the real word of God, the true word of God, and he was supposed to be teaching and leading by example and by words. Uh, and, and Jesus is like, you say this, that you're a ruler of the, of the Israelites. And, I, and God, Jesus himself calls him a ruler of the Israelites. And these things aren't true. He doesn't understand. He's not been born again. Here's a leader that looks really, really good on the outside. And yet on the inside, he's far from the Lord. Um, so Nicodemus is, is that way. And it's really hard for Nicodemus to understand. And in, in the book of Job, um, Job has all these things happen to him in the first couple of chapters of Job, where God does all these things or allows Satan to do all these things to his family and take them away and kill a lot of them. And Job is faithful when he said God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So even in the most tragic things, Job was following the Lord. And um, then his godly wife says, curse God and die. Not very godly. Um, but he didn't do that. That's when he said God takes away and he, he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But all through the rest of Job, he starts like, man, this is tough. This is hard. And he has some friends and some of them give him decent examples and decent, you know, counsel. And sometimes they give him pretty bad counsel. But toward the end in chapter 38, Job goes into the counsel of God. 
He goes into the very judge's council or room. And he goes there and he's asking God all these questions. And he's like, why this, why this? And God says, where were you when I made the foundations of the earth? And then he goes on and very poetically spells out, where were you when I did all these things? And at the very end in uh, chapter 40 and then again in chapter 42, we, we, we get the idea that you know, God starts, starts doing all the talking and Job shuts up. And it says that he actually puts his hand over his mouth and he says, I've spoken things that are way too, you know, great for me to speak. Things I don't know anything about. And he just listens. So it kind of the dialogue changes in the book of Job. But it does the same thing here with Jesus and Nicodemus. And I, I use the New American Standard most often. And I counted the number of words, uh, back and forth words, that Nicodemus had when, he, when Jesus and Nicodemus were talking. Now, this is not in the Greek, but I counted them in the English translation. The first time Jesus and Nicodemus talk in, in this particular text... Uh, Nicodemus says, says 27 words, and then Jesus speaks. And then Nicodemus says 25 words, and then Jesus speaks. And then Nicodemus says five words. How can these things be? And then Jesus carries the whole rest of the conversation from there all the way to verse 21, which we'll eventually get to. So what happens is Nicodemus is like talking and dialoguing and asking and trying to defend himself, and then he sees that, oh, wow. And I think that what we see is Nicodemus is starting to get it. Nicodemus is starting to understand. It's like, he knows my heart. This man knows my needs. And so he starts listening to him, and the discourse starts to change, and he, and he listens. And the rest of the time, Jesus starts telling Nicodemus all about how can this, these things be? How can it be that you're born again and born from above? And how can you have a real relationship with me that the things that you say that you're a teacher of the law, how can you really connect to those things? And Jesus starts explaining those things. And so he starts explaining those things um, in verse 11. Verse 11, he says this. um, Truly, truly, and if you have the good old King James, verily, verily, I say to you, remember what we said? I want you to get this picture in your mind. Last week we said it's like taking your hands and putting them on somebody's shoulders and not too hard, but pretty firmly shaking them and like, listen to me, listen to me, focus. And I'll say focus to my kids and they're like, oh, don't do that. They hate that. But anyway, it's like focus, listen to me, listen. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this is something you, you can't miss. This is absolutely critical. Listen to me, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we testify of what we've seen, and you do not accept our testimony. This is the same thing we heard in John 1, right? Jesus comes to his very own. His very own here is a Pharisee, a teacher of his law, and it says that the Pharisee didn't accept the things of Jesus, the things that Jesus knew and came to bring. Um, You don't accept their testimony. And then verse 12, Jesus says to him, if I told you earthly things, and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus is saying, if you can't understand just the earthly basic things, how in the world are you going to understand the heavenly things? What is he saying? Um, what he's saying, I believe, is when we talk about heavenly things, I think Jesus is saying, when I start telling you about the details of my coming and my birth and the details of how the Old Testament that you know really connect to my coming and my story. If I start telling you what the sacrificial system really means, that I came and I'm the ultimate sacrifice and those sacrifices simply pointed to me, if I start telling you the heavenly deep things, well, you're not going to understand them if you don't even understand these earthly most basic things. So what is he saying? I really think that Jesus was saying, if you don't understand your need of me, if you don't understand that what you've done doesn't cut it, 
doesn't give you a relationship with me, if you don't understand that there's nothing you can do to have a right relationship with me, you're never going to understand the more heavenly things. And I think we could start understanding that by saying there's people that you pray for to be saved and to come to Christ who, who really, you know, uh, they're not going to, they're not going to believe and they're not going to come to Christ and they're not going to understand that Jesus died for their sins or that he had to die for their sins if they love their life now. If somebody is like set, like, I love what I'm, what's going on in my life. I, why do I need that? We first have to understand we have a deep, deep need of Christ. You have, we have to show people that your life now is not going to satisfy you. Your life now is lacking in something. If they don't think it's lacking in something, and if you don't think it's lacking in something, or you think your life, even as a Christian, is doing, you know, you're doing pretty good without Jesus, well, you, you're going to be distant from him. And um, that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's, he's saying, if you don't understand that you need me, if you don't understand that everything that you've done so far in your life, all the righteousness doesn't, doesn't add up but to trash, Isaiah 64, 6 says that even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So if, if you take everything that you've done good and I've done good and we put them up on the board behind us, we, we would probably like, okay, I wouldn't mind seeing some of that. But what if we take one year of your badness and put it on the board and put it on the PowerPoint? You wouldn't want anybody to see that. And what we see is that all, our right, all of our righteousness combined doesn't even start to merit our relationship with Jesus. It doesn't even start to, to merit him dying for you and dying for me and making us right with him. It uh, doesn't even start to merit, to merit it. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you've got to understand the most basic things, that you really need me. And I think that Nicodemus is starting to get that. He starts shutting up and listening. And then Jesus starts telling him the more heavenly things. He starts telling him about the cross. He starts telling him how the Old Testament stories of, of in verse 14, how Moses um, and all the people were sick and they were, they were starting to die. And then Moses called out to the Lord, like, we need to be saved. And, and God told him, well, put a serpent, a golden serpent up on a post or up on a stand. And when, when they're bitten, look to that and you'll be saved. And how that points to Jesus having to be lifted up on the cross. So what happens is, is Jesus starts telling Nicodemus, now let me connect all the dots that you were missing. Let me help you understand and connect with those things that, you know, really means to be a teacher and an understander and a liver of the law. So um, the one big application here is if you're not a Christian, um, one application is there's, there's conviction here that you can't become a Christian on your own. You can't do enough. Like, oh, that's, yeah, okay, then what do I do? Well, trust the Lord. Come to him and say, Lord, save me from myself. And the good news is there's an invitation right there to, to all people the invitation is, there's, there's bad news and good news. The bad news is we can't save ourselves. It's very convicting for those people in, judge, in judging and condemning for those people who try to save themselves. But what a great invitation for those who say, okay, Lord, I can't do it. I need you. I need you every hour. We need that reminder. And uh, the one thing that as Christians I think this should tell us is we need to continually be coming back to understanding and looking and seeing our sin and how deep it is. How do I know that that's needed? Well, I know it's needed here because Jesus says if you don't understand your need of Jesus, you're not going to understand the more deep things. And I also understand that, that, that that's true, um, you know, in, in the sense that Paul uses it. Paul, the writer of, two, the human writer, the human author of two-thirds of the New Testament, says he's the what? The chief of sinners. I don't think, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, Paul, you know you weren't the chief of sinners. You just threw that in there. Make us feel good. 
But I think the truth is that he was the writer of the scriptures, and so he knew more about who Jesus was and who God was and the good work of Jesus and God for our behalf and what that means to man and sinful man. And the more he saw God and who he is and his character and the more he saw man and who he is and his character, he really understood that, no, I am the chief of sinners. And so I think one big application to this truth for Christians is this, that we need to not just say we're the chief of sinners, but we need to, as we're studying God's word, say, wow, but the, the more you study God's word, doesn't, it doesn't make you feel like the more you're close to the Lord in the sense of not needing him, the more you study God's word, the more it makes you see that you need him more than you ever imagined. And so the, the more you study and the more you study and the deeper you go and the more God reveals of his word, the more you're like, man, I'm not worthy. And the more your worship changes because I'm not worthy, and he is. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And um, this, is, this is Jesus saying there's only one, really what Jesus is saying here is there's only one person. That, that has direct access to the very throne room of God. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the righteous people. It's me. He's saying there's only one person that has a direct connect with the very throne room. The, came, the one who came down from heaven is the one who can go back and forth in and out of that throne room. And, and you know, Jesus is, knows this Pharisee knows the Old Testament. And he knows that it's only once a year that the high priest could even go into the Holy of Holies. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's one that can go in and out, in and out, that is very God himself. And he's reminding and telling Nicodemus, there is one, and you have to trust me. And in me, you can go in and out. You can um, have that. Let me take you back to John 1, and we're not going to go much further in this text uh, today. We're only going to get to verse 14 and just mention it. Uh, but let me take you back to John 1. So if you would turn to John 1, verse 51. John 1, 51. I don't have it on the overheads because I'm slack and I didn't get them here like John Mark does, but that's okay. John 1.51 says this, and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's a promise that's saying you're going to see that Jesus is going to be ministered to by these angels coming and going from heaven, and you're going to see that the one who descended from heaven is the one who's God. And then and also verse 18 of that same chapter, John 1.18 Know the Son. If you know the Son, you know the Father, because it says this. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And what that's saying is this, is Jesus is telling Nicodemus, if you really want to know the Father, then you need to know me. And he's saying that to know me is to know the Father, because I'm the only one who has come from the bosom of the Father and come up and down from heaven. So let's go to the, this will be the closing verse for today. Hebrews 6, 19. I'm going to sit here until I see more Bibles turn open. So turn to Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. If you don't have your paper Bibles and you have your phones, then even though I said to shut them off, shut, turn them on uh, to the Bible, not to the texting, and go to Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. Um, and next time I'm here, I'll, I'll do more putting it on the overheads. Since Are you guys most accustomed to that being up there? When, okay. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. So I won't rebuke you for not having your Bible since you're used to it being over there, over the overheads. That's okay. Sorry. Um, Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? But what, what the author of Hebrews is saying 
is that Jesus Christ is the anchor for our soul. Jesus Christ is the anchor for our relationship with the Father. And it says that Jesus Christ is standing where? He's standing in the very throne room. He's in the throne room. He's, he's where the, the high priest can only go in and out once a year, and then only after doing all these rituals. Jesus Christ is always there because he and the Father are one. And it says that our anchor is with him within the veil. Our anchor is there. That means that we have access. So verse 13, Nicodemus is told by Jesus, there's only one who has access to the Father. That's Jesus Christ. And the only way you can have access to the Father is to be in me. Be connected to me, be anchored to me. And then the good news is we have a promise in Hebrews that if we're connected to him, we have access with God. Not just once. Not when you come to, to know Christ just the first time, but day after day after day after day, you can have direct access with the Father through Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through other priests. You have the greatest priest in Jesus, the faithful priest in Christ. And so Jesus starts telling Nicodemus these heavenly things. How can you be right with God? How can you come into the throne room? How can you really know and live scripture by knowing me and by trusting me and by being in me? That's what Jesus is doing. And in the very next verse, he starts saying, here's the necessity of the cross. And he said, just like Moses raised up a serpent and people looked to it to be saved, well, that was only pointing to me that I had to be raised up and I will have to be raised up onto a cross and you'll have to look to me in order to be saved. And we're going to hit that the next time I'm here. So a couple of applications for uh, those of you who are um, not Christians. Listen, listen to this. Jesus is, is condemning the Pharisees. He's condemning them in this way. He's saying all your external goodness doesn't do anything for your heart. All your external being serious about Bible study and prayer and working at three crosses and cooking for VBS or teaching VBS, none of those things can merit salvation. But if you are saved through Jesus, then all of a sudden your lives are being transformed. And guess what you'll be doing? You'll probably be helping with VBS and serious about the word and helping with three crosses. But that's a result of a transformed heart. That's not an order to be transformed. And we have to get that right. And even as Christians, we fall back into that all the time. We need Jesus every hour. But non-Christians, this thing that's a rebuke to you trying to save yourself is also the greatest invitation. It's, how is that? You can't save yourself. But Jesus has freely offered the gospel to you. He's freely offered grace to you. He's freely offered his love to you. He's freely offered acceptance to you. He's freely offered a way for your sins to be forgiven and redeemed. And all, all you have to do is come to him and say, I believe and I trust. What a great imitation. So this thing that's the most condemning to us who try to save ourselves is the greatest imitation to us because we come and we freely get. Isaiah 55 is like, ho, everyone who thirsts, let him come to the waters and, and get freely. It's free. And for those of us who, who are Christians and, and have connected in a sense, so we've connected with the things of being a Christian, my, my prayer is, and the prayer here is that you connect again and again and again, that you remember that we're sinners, that the more you study the word, the more you know, wow, I'm not that good. I'm not as good as I thought I was, and Jesus is much better than I ever imagined him to be. And the more we grow uh, in, in understanding the depth of our sin, may, may the, in the darkness that we see there, may the light that's shined upon it by Jesus affect us more and more in transforming us to be more like him. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your word. There's a lot here. 
And Father, I thank you for the uh, telling us and who you were speaking to, the Pharisee. It helps us to understand what you were telling him, that all his good deeds and all his righteousness and all his faithfulness, uh, Father, didn't make him right with you, that he needed to be born all over again, start all over again through your grace. Father, I pray that any here today who've not connected, not with being a basketball fan, but any here today not connected to Jesus with your gospel and and salvation, Father, I, I pray that they would stop trying to get to you, but that they would fall on your grace and on your mercy and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for redeeming and saving and dying for me and help me trust in that. And Father, I pray that if there's any today that are in that place and that condition that they wouldn't let the day go by without talking to somebody about that, particularly you, but other folks that could help them here. Father, I pray for the believers here today too, that we would see that we need to understand our neediness, not just once, but we stand in need every hour. We need you. And Father, we thank you that you provided grace and love for us every hour. Father, we thank you for that, and I pray that that would be a transforming thought to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.